Welcome to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. I'm your host, Shannon Felt, teacher trainer, resource provider, and course creator for teachers around the world. In each episode, I'll share concrete strategies to help you sharpen your skills and become the very best teacher you can be. We're talking all things ELT, the most effective classroom practices, communicative methodology, and valuable tips for planning and teaching so you can help your students see real improvement in their language abilities. We'll also hear from language teachers and ELT professionals all over the globe who are making inspiring moves in our industry. So thanks for joining me. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome back to Expand Your Horizons. In this week's episode, I'm thrilled to welcome Karen Taylor as my guest. In 1999, Karen created an amazing teaching tool called the Color Vowel Chart when she realized that there had to be a better way to help students with pronunciation. The Color Vowel Chart absolutely took off, and in 2011, Karen co-founded ELTS, or English Language Training Solutions, in response to popular demand. Karen holds an MA in TESOL from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey, and a BA in English Literature from Georgetown University, as well as an international baccalaureate from the United World College. A former Fulbright TEFL specialist, Karen was the practitioner in residence at American University for nine years. She received EdTech's 2020 Visionary Leader Award for her work as head of education, and Karen is now CEO at Blue Canoe Learning. And if you're wondering what the name Blue Canoe has to do with pronunciation teaching, you're about to find out in this episode. On a personal note, I'm especially excited to have Karen here today because I've been meaning to interview her for quite some time. So many teachers have raved to me about the color vowel chart and how it has completely transformed their ideas about teaching pronunciation. There was one instance in particular when a teacher I've worked with was telling me all about her experience with the color vowel chart and how much she uses it in her classroom, and I asked her if she'd be willing to join me on the podcast to introduce it to our listeners. She said, sure, but wouldn't you rather just interview Karen directly? I'll give you her email address. I was shocked that someone who has accomplished as much as Karen has would be so accessible, but when I reached out to her, she responded right away, and here we are. So what you're about to hear is our first conversation of what I hope will be many, and I'm really grateful that Karen gave so much of her time to talk to me about pronunciation and share so much with me in this episode. So needless to say, I was very much looking forward to this interview, and I have to tell you that it was an even more fascinating and fun conversation than I even could have anticipated. So if you've ever wanted advice on how to make pronunciation easier and more fun for your students, get ready, because this is definitely the episode for you. All right, let's get started. Hi, Karen. I'm so excited that you're here with me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Shannon. Of course. So I've been wanting to interview you for quite some time now. Um, and I know that I just went through kind of your introduction and a little bit about you at the very beginning of this episode. Um, but why don't you start by, in your own words, telling us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, where you're based, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, my name is Karen Taylor de Caballero, and I'm here in the Washington, D.C. area. 
Um, when people ask me what I do, um, depends on what kind of humor I have that day, but I specialize in vowels. And uh, what I mean by that is, is the vowel sounds of English and of other languages. I'm a phonologist, I'm a linguist, and I'm a teacher. Um, so I'm sort of bringing all of those big labels into one place when I talk about myself, because I, I'm trying to find the nexus, um, the place this is sort of my thing. Um, the place where sound and the way sound behaves for language education is accessible to teachers and learners. Um, so I spend a lot of time around that with a, a, a tool that I devised over the last 20 years called the color vowel chart. And it's not just about vowels, actually. It's, it's about all of spoken English and how it behaves. Um, but at the center of that are these these things that we call vowels that are really um, the, the peaks of meaning is one way that it's been described by a colleague. Um, and, and that's really what we're talking about is how are we understood by one another? Uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm focused on that uh, in my world. I train teachers around the use of the chart for simple teaching with really effective outcomes um, and for learner engagement that feels like they're actually playing a role in their own learning and not just listening. Yeah, that's amazing. I was imagining that um, you've probably seen that kind of Venn diagram thing with all the different, it's like the world's greatest need, your passion, the per, you know, and like the intersection is what you're supposed to do with your life. I was imagining that as you were talking about this sort of like nexus between language and teaching and sound and meaning and it's very cool. Um, and so pronunciation is not something that I talk about probably enough at TEFL Horizons, and it's something that I get tons of questions about from teachers asking how they can be better at teaching pronunciation, you know, how they can help their students with tricky sounds, how they can make it more clear, because I think the phonemic chart freaks all of us out just a little bit. Um, so super excited that we're going to talk about the color vowel chart. But before we get there, let's back up just a little bit because I'm curious. Um, what's your background like? So you've mentioned kind of where you are now. How did you first become interested in the ELT field? Like what brought you here? Yeah, I, you know, I didn't know that was my direction at first, but in, um, when I was in college here in the DC area, I volunteered with, uh, at that time it was the, gosh, it was the late eighties and uh, the early nineties. And I volunteered teaching uh, with a Salvadoran family in the area. And I was simply told, you know, go teach them English. So I think I <laughs> no went to training, their just, Yeah. Just you speak English, that. you got it. <laughs> yeah. And there was yeah. no training. It was just go have conversation. And yep. I mean, I think it was really needed. They had just arrived and there was a lot of trauma around that, that mm -hmm. whole era. And so that was my first taste of it. And at the same time, I had gone into study international relations and it really didn't pan out for me as what I thought it would be. I, th I thought, but, you know, the sort of glorious being an ambassador kind of thing and realized that it's um, that what I really loved was was English literature and, yeah. and the arts and so forth. Um, and so I was yeah, I was tutoring and I took an education class. And things really started to jibe where I felt like, huh, I, I do like teaching people. Mm -hmm. So I went off and did a master's degree in TESOL in California at the Monterey Institute. It's now the Middlebury Institute. Yeah. And, um, and from there, I, you know, I, I started teaching right away. And it wasn't though until a few years later that I ended up at University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got there, I was... I was so thrilled to be there. Just what a great program. Um, very collegial, 
And, and yet, you know, whenever somebody new comes they're they're bound to get that course that some of the other people have already taught enough and don't really want. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm done with this. Give it to the yeah. newbies. Yeah. So I got that course. I got the course teaching <laughs> the international teaching assistants uh, pronunciation. And it, it's, it's not that it was so unpleasant, but I think it's a real tearjerker course, meaning there was so much at stake for these international graduate students with their fellowships. And if they didn't pass the final exam, which was performance-based, they would lose their fellowships and it was a lot of heartache. And, and so it's, it's not an easy course to teach. And um, so I was given that course. And, um, and so that's, you know, I, ESL was my general field. I'd taught abroad, I'd had a good time. And then pronunciation suddenly became this thing. I just felt like I really wanted to crack it. You know, I really wanted to do it well. I wanted to, to reach my students effectively so they could be successful. And so pronunciation um, right around 1998, 99 became my, my, my focus within ESL. So yeah. that seems like a good segue then into kind of the birth of the color vowel chart. How did it come to be? How did you come up with this idea? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was needed. I think that was the key is that it was so needed because when I got into that classroom, I was given a book that was the book and it was an old book. It's, it's a book actually that was very seminal, um, which was um, by Prater and Robinette. I won't go into detail, but it was from the 1940s. And it okay. had made, cool. <laughs> it was called Practical Phonetics. And it, and, and it became this, this sort of Bible that teachers would use in universities to teach pronunciation. And, um, and right at that time, this was about 1998, 99. Um, this was also when methodologically a lot was shifting because the communicative approach had been in place for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Long enough to really have a maturity about it since the right. 84. And so right. now you had pronunciation textbooks coming out that were communicative, but still Prater and Robinette was, you know, this phonology Bible kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at these two sets of materials and, you know, what am I going to teach with? And my students were very happy to sit with the old text and transcribe. And and that was the assigned textbook at that semester. And I found that the transcription activities were trying to tell me something. The fact that my students were so willing to just put their noses down and transcribe and transcribe. And yet these were students were very difficult to understand. Right. Yeah. I mean, that seems sort of to me like the grammar translation method in terms of fluency equaling fluency. It's like, you're just memorizing these rules and symbols and what the sound is, but how is that helping if you're not actually going out and spontaneously able to create that sound and be understood? Exactly. They're sort of perseverating on what they could do really well. And yeah. a lot of them are engineers and mathematicians. And so this is really up their alley to right. you know, super analytical, it. logical. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I had this sense, like something's got to shift and, and going back to the, the, the more recent books that have been published, these are things like well said, um, and, uh, targeting pronunciation by Sue Miller and, and Linda Grant's mm-hmm. book, well said, um, and, and Judy Gilbert's work with let's, uh, with, uh, what's it called? Clear speech. Sorry. Um, yeah, that's okay. I can yeah, link so those some of Yeah. And, and so those were all about the latest movement, which was about super segmental, um, and not to get too much into the terminology, but essentially moving into a place where we really focus on the rhythm of English and the mm-hmm. stress of English and linking and how it really behaves. Pretty exciting right. stuff. 
Yeah, because it's not, you know, we think of pronunciation equals sounds at first. I think that's kind of our basic sort of, but, you know, it's so much more than just these isolated sounds. It's all of that that you just said. But what I what I found still, though, was sort of this strange gap where um, if you open up those more recent books, then they just said, well, let's put all of the individual sounds in the back of the book. We'll have a section on vowels, yep. have a little appendix on consonants. And that's kind of a typical treatment is just let's put them back there. And I can see that with consonants. But at the moment with vowels, it really just kept coming up. Yep. You know, the, the difference uh, between paper and pepper, you know, it's just exactly. one vowel sound off. And and I felt like there was something more to it. I didn't want to just relegate it to uh, what was at the time sort of the 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 bad kids room, which is the segmentals. <laughs> And yeah. it was, methodologically, it was, you know, segmentals had a bad name for a while. And I was like, yeah. no, 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 I think we need those. <laughs> so I, so I walked in one day and I, I, I actually, I went to a conference um, on, I think it was in October of 99 and, and here in the area. Um, and this fellow teacher was talking about keywords, just having a word for a sound like, like kite would be the keyword for the k sound right or okay, yeah in the case of vowels you might say um cat is going to be my my keyword for the ah sound right? mm -hmm. and so i it was just about keywords and he used some words and that weekend um i mean i wrote in those notes like change all of these words to colors because he used a couple of colors he used purple okay he used black and i think he used maybe blue and it was just those words. And then the rest were words like the one was book for the uh sound. Yep. And one was, you know, I, I can't remember all the others, but they were things, a, a combination of modern things and or popular things, common things and um, and some color words. And so that weekend when I made those notes, I turned around and just got out the cardboard and I made this chart and wow. um, I put the phonetic symbols on it, which is the linguistic chart. Yeah, And then I found construction paper and I cut that all up and I basically created the chart. That's this chart that I have behind me mm -hmm. um, in the studio. And it was just these swaths of color that would cover up with Velcro. I could remove them and under them were the phonetic symbols. How cool. So that was it. I just wanted to cover them up. I, I wanted to stop looking at them. <laughs> I wanted them to stop looking at the symbols because it was just so distracting. Yeah. And, so like, let's write them instead of let's use them. <laughs> right. Let's think about them in a way that isn't just this like different written symbol. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we're able to talk. I think the words that the real, I always think, think back to were um, I had this biology or chemistry student who would talk about um, molecules, you know, molecular. And I was like, what, what is that word? <laughs> and, and he was saying molecular. Right. Molecular. And I was like, oh, molecular. So there's molecule and molecular. And I, I wanted a way to kind of get at that without getting down in the weeds. And so we were able to do that with those color swatches. I could, I could look at and point to the olive swath and say yeah. olive is molecule. So molecule is an olive word. And then molecular, molecular, molecular is a red word because that stressed yeah. vowel sound has the eh in it. So I just point to the red swatch and point to the olive swatch to remind him to, to disambiguate the two words. Right. 
and they got that was pretty super exciting <laughs> it was pretty effective yeah. so that that was kind of the beginning of it all the students loved it you know they were older students they really knew what they appreciated about it they mm -hmm. told their other teachers and it just sort of started a little conversation i would say on campus yeah. How cool. And it really is, you know, when I think about it, it's the same principle as being able to point to that particular phoneme and say, no, it's this one, it's this sound. But that's, again, that's just a visual cue. Like, like that symbol in and of itself doesn't really have a, a word or a sound, or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of, it's doing the same thing, but in a way that seems so much more effective that you could point to like, it's well, it the, is. Uh, as in red. So there's, you know, these two words, there's the color association, there's the place on the particular chart where you're, where it always is. Right. Um, well, and it does, it shifts from the symbols are symbols, whereas right. color vowels are mnemonics. Right. Right. So there, the sound in each of these words. And now when, when I took it off to, to my colleagues, Shirley Thompson, um, she said, Oh, we should add a, a noun to each color mm -hmm. to make like an image in our minds. So green became green tea. Right. And silver became silver pin and gray became gray day. Right. And then you have two kind of anchor words, you know, so if I'm trying to say molecule, then it's like, okay, olive, mol. Okay. That makes more sense to me than just the, it's the ah sound, which is so weird and isolated. And right. If you say the ah sound, then the student who doesn't have that sound in their language inventory will say, oh, right. it's the ah, molecule, you know, molecule. <laughs> right. Right. So they're going to hear it the way they hear it there's no there there if we only refer to the sound by the sound. Yep. So we name it. And, and that's been, yeah. So there were a couple of things that I just felt super lucky that the way that I thought about it that weekend um, was, I would say it was like 80% cooked in one weekend. How cool. Wow. And, and then it was just perfecting it. So adding the second word um, now you have, you know, as, as we do now, we have images that represent each, vowel sounds. So you can hold up a card just as a correction without even saying anything. You can hold up the olive sock card and they're like, oh yeah, molecule. Talk <laughs> um, about so students and, <laughs> and minimizing yeah. teacher talk. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I loved about it, I think part of the reason it became more popular over time and it, and it did, you know, it, it grew in the DC area. We mm -hmm. shared it at conferences but I think it's the comment I've gotten time and again from teachers is, thank goodness, like I never really understood those, all that phonetic stuff anyway, right? Right. Now that's not true of all teachers, but a lot Definitely. of teachers didn't get enough of that in university or their graduate program or what have you. Um, and maybe they, I'm going to say something, you know, maybe sacrilegious, but maybe they don't need to have all of that. If, I, yeah. <laughs> No, if, if our field, this is the way I've been thinking is if our field truly is a diverse field and it is, we've got volunteer teachers who are career changers or, or simply they have their day jobs and they volunteer by night, you know, then we have uh, professional teachers who have master's degrees in the field yeah. and we have everything in between certificates and um, dabblers and um, volunteers elsewhere in churches and all kinds of groups who are teaching English and wouldn't it be great if we could have a, a tool for this century that's ours from our field, not borrowed from linguistics, but responsible to linguistics. Right. So I try to yeah, be sure. Cool. And we, we do with our, our linguist in residence, we make sure that 
everything we're doing has a linguistic and um, an academic grounding to it. Mm-hmm. It might be a concession, you know, it might be that we made a, a concession here. For example, we, we don't, on the chart itself, we don't represent exactly where um, on a spectrogram where the, where the phoneme falls, yep. um, but we create this sort of symmetrical object that is much more attractive to the newcomer. And from there, it actually gets deeper and we can go in those directions if we need to. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And how interesting too, that it, it is more accessible, I think for teachers, as you were saying, but also for students, I can imagine in that, you know, even the teachers that I've worked with that have said, okay, the whole phoneme thing kind of intimidates me, but I'm willing to give it a shot, you know, if that's what I'm supposed to do, but seriously, are my students really going to be able to deal with this? And how do I, you know, these teachers are barely sort of understanding it and learning it and frantically trying to memorize it themselves. And then the thought of trying to communicate that to students feels so overwhelming that this seems so much more accessible to students from all backgrounds too. You know, we all have those students who are, um, you know, have PhDs and are super logical and analytical in their home countries and look at the phonemic symbols and are like, sure, yeah, this is fine with me. And then other students who are totally not prepared to learn a whole other set of written language. Um, Well, and even those who master those phonetic symbols are often overly focused on the, it's sort of the deck chairs on the Titanic. (laughs) I mean, they could be very focused on the individual phonemes and still sound like robots. You know, I mean, they get so drilled down into the details that they don't have the overarching uh, or the organic aspect of spoken English. So we we have a kind of a flow in the way that we use the chart that is really about the fancy word we call prosody, you know, Mm -hmm. the rhythm, the musical aspect, um, the way that we convey emotion and intent uh, through pausing and the use of intonation, all of that ties literally around the chart and on top of it and through it. Um, I, I won't, sometimes we actually paint on the chart or paint the chart. Oh, wow. in our okay. own way. I mean, we do some very kinesthetic visual work with teachers. Oh, that's so, so interesting. So tell me a little bit more about the chart. So obviously we're recording this on video right now, which eventually people will be able to see. But um, so for those listening just to the podcast, tell me a little bit more about kind of what we can see here, how it's arranged, why it's arranged in that particular way. Like what was kind of the thought process behind the organization of it? Yeah. So the chart is a, a collection of 16 different color swatches, let's call it, mm-hmm. um, that are configured in a kind of a, a semicircle that swoops down and then around and back up. And it's designed with a, with a very particular uh, way of situating yourself. So I'm sitting um, in front of it with my right shoulder on the, the back uh, right corner of the yeah, chart. Like itself. I'm facing and it I'll now. Always, yep. Yeah. And I'll always face this way so that uh, it's a side view. It's a giant side view of uh, the cross section of my mouth. It's the space inside. And it sort of organizes where the tongue and the jaw are when Mm -hmm. you're making it sort of, I shouldn't use hedges like that. It is, (laughs) it visually organizes the space inside of the mouth in a larger visual way than we can conceive of. A, because that space is inside of our mouths and we can't pull out our eyes to look at that. Um, and B, because it's so small and so much a part of everything we do, eating, breathing, 
yeah. uh, drinking and talking, right? All of those things are involved in, you know, go through the mouth. And so we are blessedly um, built to suppress noticing anything in there. You know, if you say, yeah. where's, your, wow. where's your tongue right now? You know, where's your tongue? Is it in the top or is it the bottom? And, you know, most people will be like, it's right in there. That's, that's what my tongue is. It's, <laughs> in, my mouth. You know, it's in there. And so, you know, it's, it's by one sort of invisible to us. And if yeah. we start looking at it, it starts to behave strangely. Uh, maybe we'll get tongue tied or we'll mm -hmm. maybe bite our tongue or it just starts being strange, right? Like swallowing. If you think too hard about it, suddenly it feels like you can't do it. <laughs> it's right. like, like, I don't know if I can. Right. Um, <laughs> like, don't think too much about what your tongue's doing or you're going <laughs> to yeah. not be able to do it. Exactly. We get uncomfortable. And you know, <laughs> at those early years in University of Maryland, I would have these classes that would meet twice a week uh, for the whole class. And then I would have these breakout little tutorials with each student because again, the stakes were so high, right? They needed... Mm -hmm. So it was built into the curriculum that way. We'd meet for a half hour and they'd record the session and we, you know, do something personalized. And I would find myself, you know, getting really close to them and um, saying, well, open up your mouth a little more. Now stick your tongue out a little more. And I would even do things. I'm using my hands with you right now where I'm like pulling out your tongue, like, give me your tongue. And I found one day this student was sitting with me. It was the word measure, measure. And they were saying, ma ma major, major. And I was like, no, measure. And, and you can even hear in that moment, I yeah. think, was sort of trembling. Well, they started measure. And then her, her tears started welling up in her eyes. Wow. And, she, and I knew I'd taken it too far. Um, uh -huh. I, I mean, I get upset now even thinking about it. Not upset, wow. but like it was so striking. It became so intimate in an unintended way. Right. I was yeah. in her mouth. I was telling her what to do. And suddenly it was all falling apart. Mm -hmm. I thought there's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah. Then just <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, I was really I've been very dedicated to that idea of uh, finding the non-invasive way um, to guide a student so that they become more aware, not tell them, no, a little to the left, a little to the right. No, mm -hmm. just you're so close none of that really helps them. Um, right. It's so technical and so easy, like you said, to get tripped up about it when you're, when you're overthinking anything, I think it's like, it suddenly becomes impossible no matter what, because yeah. that's the whole effective filter, right? Like if our students are stressed out and tense and like, Oh, I'm not doing it right. Like they're not going to learn in that environment and feel good about that. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, in that case, I, I ended up using the hack that um, a lot of, a lot of us use, you know, I said, Oh, just replace that with you know, you're using mayor. I want you to say Shh, measure. And she said, measure. And I said, great, great. You're done. That's it. <laughs> now let's just spend a little more time on the stress syllable. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. So, so we take measure and we, you know, we, what color is that? And she can look at the chart. That's this, you know, that I'm always with it. The teacher's always with it. And the learner can look at it and say, oh, is it, you know, is it, is it gray? And I said, well, and let's try it. You know, mm -hmm. gray day measure. Okay, good. Um, maybe it's red, red pepper measure. And and actually both of those are totally legitimate. Measure, mm -hmm. measure. And my own mother uses gray uh, and I use red. <laughs> That's so, so interesting know. too. 
Yeah. And so then it, then it starts to really, you know, engage because there's more than one right answer, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that kind of freaks people out. Like, what do you mean? There's more than one right answer. Right. But I mean, that's normal. Like that happens anyway. We have so many different accents and pronunciations and I've worked with teachers from Texas, for example, we used to do an exercise where we'd transcribe words into phonemes. And it was always this thing of like, no, it's um, the word friend would always come up that it's the F sound. And everyone from Texas would say, no, it's the I sound. It's friend. Friend. Um, and, you know, there were certain teachers that would say, well, we can't both be right. No, you are. If that's how you say it, that's what's right. correct. So it's nice to have something more than just a symbol to point to that. Oh, you're saying it silver pin friend. Fine. Right. I'm saying it red pepper friend. Right. Okay. And so these, for the listeners out there, silver and red are organized close to each other. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, oh, well, they're neighbors anyway. I mean, this is why they're both acceptable. You know, so whether you say think or think, you know, is think a green word or a silver word? That's uh, so cool. for, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> for me, it's silver. And for, for someone from Georgia, it might be green. Yeah. Uh, and if you're thinking green, how could it be green? <laughs> it's only because you use silver, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's just one neighbor away. So yeah. I, yeah, the chart has been this amazing tool with teachers, just that alone, like who's allowed to teach English. Yep. And, you know, I had, I had a group in Delaware, I was training uh, a few years ago about 35, a lot of people in the room and they were in a big circle and we were analyzing Shel Silverstein poems, um, just sort of showing how you can use the chart to, uh, in English language arts to analyze poetry for assonance and rhyme, right? Mm -hmm. And so they were looking through these poems and um, suddenly there was like this big kebab where this moment of noise in the corner, they're like, what? And so I heard these teachers talking and, and suddenly this one teacher was clearly in the spotlight and she sort of had her hands up with her eyes big, like, what did I do? And the, the teacher who had made the big noise said, do it again. Like, you know, so everyone could hear what this thing was. And so I kind of, you know, moseyed over there to see what was going on. <laughs> I wanted to make sure, you know, do I need to protect her? Like what's going right. on? And she said, do it again. And the teacher said, um, say it, say it, poem, say poem. And, and so then the teacher said, poem, poem, you know, and she was kind of shy about it, obviously yeah. on the spot. And, um, and the teacher who had made the big noise about it said, see, and everyone was sort of kind of not, not laughing, but there was kind of this delight, but we weren't sure what was going on. So I said, oh, hey, so let's, let's see what's going on here. <laughs> Cause I really felt like this person was getting spotlighted because of the way she was saying this word poem. Yeah. Point. And so what we did is I said, let's look at the chart and see what this is all about. So how do you say poem person who just called out this teacher? And she <laughs> says, um, poem, it's, it's Rose. So we said, yeah, Rose boat poem. Good. Um, and can you say that word one more time for us that you just said to the teacher who was spotlighted mm-hmm. poem, poem, she says, and I said, okay, well, let's look at this. So what color is she using? So we're at the chart and, and now again, your listeners can hear, we have on, you know, as you come to the back, yeah, there's the black sound from green, yeah, ow. In the back of these vowels, that latter part are all these back vowels are in the back of the mouth yep. and they all have colors. So here's, here's um, 
rose poem and and just below it is turquoise which is mm-hmm. turquoise toy oi and that teacher was using poem 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 mm-hmm. and one syllable right it is like one syllable with the oi sound yeah right the so turquoise toy oi, poem yeah. or poem poem or poem and suddenly i said yeah they're right next door to each other isn't that interesting that's all I left it at. <laughs> and suddenly I think there was, there was kind of a thing happening where she was being outed for her dialect. That's right. That's what was happening, right. Right. And suddenly just by looking at the chart and having the dialogue move to the chart, it diffused everything. And it, it's like saying, Oh, your hair is long and my hair is shorter. And, and so what? That's <laughs> it <laughs> right there. You right. know, and she uses rose and you use, you know, turquoise and rose. And oh, yeah, that's right. And you say yeah. friend and I say friend. Yep. <laughs> and we just point to the chart. And somehow that seems to make people kind of behave better. Yeah, somehow it's, they're both correct now because they both match something on the chart. So none of those sounds can be wrong because yeah. they're all represented there. They're all there. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, you can imagine the crossover uh, then to students and, and yep. equity for teachers who are non-native speakers or from Absolutely. non-favored dialects. Yep. Everybody can teach and everybody can learn with the same tool. Yeah. And have a dialogue about, about what it means to be understood. You know, is it enough that I understand you or do you have to sound just like me? Exactly. And why is that so important? It's sort of the same point you were making before about it being okay to move away from kind of the academic nature strictly of pronunciation that I think we wanted to keep pronunciation kind of trapped in this like really intellectual technical sphere because it's like, no, this is the correct sound and this is the correct way to represent it. And this is the correct way to teach that and address that. But why, right? Like what's the most important thing for our students? Do we want to make sure everybody has everything perfect or And for teachers too, like, what's the point of making sure they understand this super complicated system when what they want is to be able to walk into their classroom and connect with their students and give their students something that's actually helpful. Like, well, and there's, there's a bit of a house of cards in all of it too, which is, you know, it's sort of who has the power to decide what the standard is that's being represented in. And, and this is the other piece that really fell away from me was just the question of a pronunciation textbook. Mm-hmm. is we all know that the books are written by the people who have access to become published writers, you know? And right. so you won't, the, the Southern teacher, the teacher from Alabama who picks up a, a pronunciation textbook will immediately not belong with that textbook. Yep. And yet the chart fle- is flexible. The chart allows yeah. them to teach from the way they speak. Um, and there's an irony, isn't there in a pronunciation yeah. book being written? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) completely. (laughs) Right. So, so let's see if we can unwrite the book and put it in a visual thing and, and go from there. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I don't know. It's been a lot of fun. um, Detextualizing pronunciation. Right. I don't want to get too, too technical just because I know we have other, um, topics to cover as well, but you touched a little bit on something I wanted to ask you more about just for our listeners, which is to uh, explain a little bit more about how the chart is laid out. So it, 
it looks like you've designed it in a similar way to sort of a traditional phonemic chart where it's based on the order. Like you were saying, for example, how, you know, silver pin or gray day, red pepper are right next to each other. And it's because of the shape our mouth is making, right. And where the sound is happening in our mouths. Yeah. It's actually the way that our tongue with our lips and our jaw, those three things, mm-hmm. the way they are working together to shape the space. And so that's kind of weird. Um, So we try to get it really simple. And the simple part is in the front part, uh, we simply start with green with that sort of smiling vowel, uh, green T-E. And if you just drop your jaw mechanically, don't even think about what sound it's going to make. Just listen to the sound as it changes, as you Mm -hmm. lower your jaw. And, And we've moved through four colors. We have to move right. from green into silver eh, to red eh, to black. Mm-hmm. And then if you go backward, so we just say, yeah, I, if you, you go close, backward, yeah. you, then you can hear gray on the way up. Mm-hmm. A, right. Which moves from, if you start at red eh, 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 and move up to green E, A, you get this gray sound that's sort of, you know, a special moving sound in English. Yep. Um, when I was a, sorry, I just interrupted you. Um, when I was a Celta trainer, we would use, there's a specific version of the phonemic chart that we would copy and distribute to all the teachers in training or the Celta candidates. And in like the top, what is it? The top left or the top right corner. Now I'm blanking on it. There's like this weird little symbol with like these arrows and it's like a cross and somewhere it's up and down. And the teachers would always say like, what is that? And I would tell them, oh, it's meant to be kind of instructions for how the chart is organized in terms of where the sound is in your mouth and you know, what your jaw is doing. And they would sort of say like, okay, too much. Like, (laughs) you know, I don't need to know all of that. Let's just learn these stupid symbols. Um, not to dump on the phonemic chart in general, but yeah, but this, the way you've arranged this makes so much more sense to me that you can actually see it do that kind of you. And even the fact that the green T is at the top, kind of like your jaw is closed and then it kind of dips down like your mouth opening. Um, yeah. it just seems so much more visually logical. It does. I mean, you can feel your mouth open and you can look at your mouth open. Mm-hmm. Um, the tongue goes along for the ride. So we don't, we don't have to talk about the tongue um, very much at all because you can usually move into the place so the tongue behaves. Yeah. I mean, you kind of trick it rather than saying, you know, move your tongue up 42 degrees. <laughs> that won't work. But if you say, follow me and say, ah, ah, well, now we can stop part of the way along. We know we started an ah, ah, olive, ah, ah. Uh, uh, and now we're in this no man's land of most languages. Most mm-hmm. languages don't have this, uh, a lot of languages don't have this sound, a cup of mustard. Uh, yep. um, so Spanish doesn't have it, for example. Right. But we can move into it, you know? And so yeah. we're able to wow. manipulate ourselves just through thinking in a slightly different way. Um, thinking a little bit like sort of like, oh, we're exercising or we're doing yoga <laughs> and we call it, this is actually called like color bell yoga. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just follow and, you know, move your jaw up and, oh, you're there. You're doing it. <laughs> oh my God, brilliant. It, that just kind of blew my mind a little bit because I've been sitting here wondering why a cup of mustard is like this big piece in the center. <laughs> and now 
okay, because that's the schwa and that's our lazy sound. And that's when our mouth is just kind of like, duh, you know, like it's, it's that central resting <laughs> space. And yep. it has both the, it's the longest phrase. It's the only phrase in the chart that's four words, mm-hmm. a cup of mustard, but the uh and the of uh, a cup of mustard are yep. the schwa behavior. Yep. And then cup and mustard, you've got it. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, but it's great for our listeners. I'm just geeking out about it because it just yeah. all sort of came together. So, and then it touches Amazing. all of the other vowels because you can think that it's its own sound, but it's actually just the behavior of another sound. Like, yep. like wow. 11 is, is not 11, but exactly. oh, 11. So, <laughs> so I just moved my from hand there. from mustard over to red and then it darts back to mustard to rest. You know, it's just a resting. Right. It's the middle. It's like the free space on a bingo. <laughs> it is. Like yeah. And it's just yeah. that place where you kind of hang out until the next time we have to stress out. And, and mm-hmm. that's what stress is for, it's going to be going to a color. Uh, it might be going into mustard, like above, right. Above right. kind of have to get bigger. Um, but then it just relaxes again to be ready. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a, it's, it's very powerful for that. And then it's also, we really interact with this, as you can see in the mm-hmm. video, I'm sitting here with the chart next to me and I'm constantly touching it. And it is this object that organizes the way we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps us understand how we, how it is that we're, we're communicating. Um, and part of that is not just where the vowel is, but also the time that we spend on it. Mm -hmm. So I'm extending my hand when I'm speaking and each of these vowels are the ones that we spend time on these stressed sounds. Uh, And that's not the behavior of other languages, right? Uh, Like exactly. Yeah. You know, Spanish has stress, but it goes up in pitch instead of out in time. Mm -hmm. And so we can use the, the arm is this built in measure it reminds you of like cubits or where, where the word feet come from, like actual feet. Yep. This is, this is the arm. We call it the open hand, but it's an arm that is the measure of time that the stress syllable needs. Okay. So it's, yeah. It's like its own bio regulation uh, to modify your speech, to be more comprehensible. Right. Language speaker. And that's true. That's something that we used to talk about, or that I still talk about a lot with teachers with stress as they would ask me like, you know, well, you would think that the length of a word determines how long, like the number of syllables in a word determines how long it would take to say the word. The number of words in a sentence would determine how long it takes to say the sentence, but it's not at all. It's the number of stressed syllables. Um, yeah, like so it's that whole three blind sound. mice, the three blind mice phenomenon. Like he, we all ran after the farmer's wife, three blind mice. Yeah. It's yeah. Amount of time. Um so we're, we're able to measure those times so that those times become what they need to be. And then all the others become really small mm-hmm. collapse in. Yeah. Yeah. That's the connected speech and the weak vowel sounds and all of that. Right. right. So, I mean, what I love now is uh, we train teachers in teaching English, but actually taking a very non um, an unconventional approach that mm-hmm. starts with the chart and it remains entirely verbal. Our, our education program is uh, video-based and interaction-based. So there's very little reading about, and it's mostly doing and discovering how your own speech works and knowing how to turn around and use that awareness Mm -hmm. simply to teach others how to be more comprehensible, second language speakers. 
Good. Okay. So that brings us to my next question, which is basically, let's say I'm a, a new teacher. I'm a teacher that wants to start using the color vowel chart. What mm-hmm. advice do you have for me? What can I do? How do I get started into, um, in terms of incorporating this into my lessons? Yeah. Um, you do want to get a little bit, uh, some, some training, a little bit of training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of videos out there on YouTube that awesome. you know, okay. I talk about it. We, we get together as teachers pretty regularly on Fridays for a program called Fridays at five on Mm -hmm. our YouTube channel. And so that's, that's where you'll kind of see the culture of it, the simplicity, the the way that we think. And I say we, because it's a growing community, but also because we need to be a we teachers need to have, um, I'll put it this way, nurses around the world, I think to a large extent have certain common practices, maybe not, maybe not all, but I think a nurse from, you know, one country can meet a nurse from another country and say, these are things that we all have in common. Yeah. These are things we all do. These are words we all understand. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, fever, we have certain risks, you know, we notice when fever is there, we pay attention to that or what have you. And I think for teaching English teaching in particular, English as a second language or foreign language. um, There's been a lot about historical methodologies, but there's not been a strong sense of how we teach. There's a lot of individualism in that. And I, and I embrace a lot of it, but in terms of teaching spoken English, um, this has become a bit of a movement because learners benefit from having a common set of references mm-hmm. and a common way that teachers um, sim- keep it simple, wait for the learner to ask the right questions and then provide the simplest answer to that question to prepare for another question from the student. So we really are working on talking less. Yep. <laughs> inviting more. And partly by providing this pretty provocative, you know, it's like, what is this thing? Um, students really want to know what this thing is when they look mm-hmm. at it. And you can lead quite a bit of the Socratic seminar <laughs> just by providing the chart and letting oh, yeah. it do its work. Um, but of course that takes a little bit of training to know what, what's coming, right? What does it do? <laughs> How does it work? Um, is it mm-hmm. more than vowels? Yes. Is it more than stress? Yes. Um, so, you know, getting to know a little bit about the chart, getting trained in the chart is a good idea. I'm always finding ways to provide teachers with really affordable time sensitive ways to get, you know, basically trained and then a little more trained and then yep. we're more trained. And, and so we have levels of training that we offer around the chart. That's okay. great. And I'll make sure to link to those as well in the show notes so that teachers can find you through your YouTube channel and also take a look at the other training that you offer if they're interested in going deeper. Wonderful. Yeah. So it's essentially, it's, it's a centerpiece for a dialogue where mm-hmm. now the teacher is discovering things about the way they speak and yep. ways that are not threatening. Um, and the learner is suddenly tuned into, wow, I can, I can be aware of this stuff. I don't have to wait to be taught. I can learn a new word and say, gosh, what color is that? You know, computer, wow. computer, yeah. computer, blue moon computer. And the teacher says, yeah, blue moon computer. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about it for quick eliciting in the classroom. Like I'll often try to, you know, elicit aspects of pronunciation, like, um, listen, am I saying I live here or I leave here? Which one? Right. But this makes it even easier that listen, live, I live here. Is it green tea or silver pin live? Yeah. Um, and they have that. Oh, okay. So that's 
there's a category already now. It's no yeah. longer just it's this one or this one, it's right or wrong. It's, oh, it goes into this category and I understand what that category is. Yep, we can even try on different colors. I mean, that's what's so neat now is you can take that frame of live and okay, mm -hmm. if it's green, it's leave. What if it's um, gray, lave? Like, oh, lave, <laughs> is that a word of English? <laughs> and I could say, huh. I don't know a word like that. Okay, well, then it's not. Okay, then it's not that yet. <laughs> Maybe it's some technical term, I don't know. But in our right now in this dialogue, it's not. Okay, how about lev? How about lav, black cat lav? And so they can actually cast around and start to say, oh, just by one vowel, what about love? Oh, like I love you? Right. <laughs> Come up to cup of mustard, love. So we yeah. can start to see what happens to a word when you just change the color mm -hmm. and how, how, you know, better, batter, butter, butter, <laughs> better, beater, <laughs> et cetera. Um, but it's not just about those minimal pairs. It's really seeing how, how the, we're, we're making these changes just in these subtle movements of the jaw, the tongue and the lips. Yeah. When does it matter? When does it not? Right. Right. And how helpful for memory too, for pronunciation, that if I am somebody that's a super visual learner, the colors are obviously going to be super helpful that I can actually, you know, see pepper in red. And that's going to help me if I, you know, if I'm colorblind, even I still have the organization of the chart. Like I can think of green tea is at the top. Yeah. I can think of the two words. Oh, tea green. Okay. So, um, there doesn't really yeah, seem fact, to be a for visually that. impaired. Well, let's talk about colorblind. You're right. Yeah. The phrases themselves are the are at the crux of everything, right? Yeah. Um, the the visual color sensation is a sensory reward for people who are sighted. Uh, for visually impaired learners, um, the phrases still work. Yeah. But I have to share. I I don't get to share this very often. There's a gentleman, okay. a teacher in in Egypt who came to a conference years ago and said, Karen, I work with VI students. And I was like, what is that? He's like visually impaired students. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, okay. He said, and I've created, <laughs> I need to get in touch with him. He's lovely. He said, I created the noisy color vowel chart. Oh, wow. Like, what? And so I, I really, it, I learned so much and I still do just thinking about this. If, if you are visually impaired or blind, Colored really, truly, truly doesn't mean anything to you. Right. And so to use green tea really, truly, truly doesn't mean you know, silver pin. These words don't mean they're not as mnemonic. They're not as sticky in other words. Yeah. Because silver so is just he, a word. It's not a concept. Right. Right. And so then he said, no, I want to have a sensory reward for the, for the visually impaired learners. And oh, so wow. he had like the, the noise, what was it? The vibe the violent lion and 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 then when you click on it, it would say rawr <laughs> but, <laughs> but it still had the eye it was the white words white tie mm -hmm. was a violent lion and the sensory reward or the mnemonic piece was just as abstract as the visual color was this yeah. sound anyway it, it just blew my mind oh, that cool. he wow. put so much thought into it and it helped me understand what the chart does and how it's a visual reward, but it's not a visual experience of the color, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Right. It's some kind of sensory association, which therefore is the yeah. shortcut sort of the reward, yeah. but it could be a sound as he created. 
And I'll just point out people with synesthesia who have color sensation sounds, this doesn't fight. I haven't met anybody yet who says that it's, you know, it's a deal breaker. Like they're able to hold these colors in one part of their brain while the other part of their brain is throwing these other colors at them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't actually, so I do have synesthesia a little oh, bit. Um, yeah. And it's not bothering me at all. Like ah. it's, especially because most of them are very logical. Like mine is, so if I, like for me, the, the letter S is yellow, like it just is, yeah. um, I don't know why, but because it's silver pin and it's like the, the knowledge of the thing overrides the way that I would see the actual words or letters in color, if that makes sense. Oh. Yeah. Um, so like silver pin to me is a logical connection, yeah. green tea, purple shirt, like, um, you it know, just occupies you had... like a different little room in your brain. Yeah. And for that matter, the other thing I'll just mention is I, I did pilot and work in a Montessori school for several years, uh, when my kids were really young in their school and uh-huh. we found, you know, Montessori system, they color code, um, grammar in the early years when they're teaching uh, nouns or one color verbs or another, that kind of thing. Yep. And also there, they, it was different. Color coding is different. Totally. Yeah. Color mnemonic apparently because it didn't fight. They were able to do both. Yeah. That makes sense that too. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Huh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating. Um, all right. So we're sort of winding down. Um, any other advice that you have? I mean, aside from using the color vowel chart in general, but any other advice that you have just for teachers who want to improve their pronunciation teaching in general? Huh. It's a good question. Um, I think the important thing is to know that they need to be aware, you know, to really honor the way that they already speak and to be curious. As long as that's the, let me see, if that's the way in, then there are so many answers that can come from that. But the moment they come into say, you know, what should be and how people need to talk, it starts to become a lot of unpleasant correction and narrowness. So, so we need to kind of undo some of those background assumptions about speech and sort of open up and be curious. And whether that means listening to yourself with a kinder heart, listening to uh, people in your community who speak differently than you, uh, who are native speakers of English or non-native speakers of English, and start asking, how is it that we communicate? And, and say, wouldn't it be great if I could, you know, let's teach that. Let's teach what yeah. it is we have in common. And, and that will lead to the right questions and the right mindset for, for teaching pronunciation effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, if we get caught up in those details of, of the idea of correctness, then we're, then you're, it's going to be intimidating, I would say. Um, yeah. and it can feel like, Oh, I'll just won't bother at all, but yeah. we can do it. Everybody can do this. Yes, absolutely. Teach your English. <laughs> those of you listening, I get so many questions from teachers that are so stressed out about, well, I'm a non-native speaker, so I can't, I can't really teach pronunciation. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> and, no matter where you're from, what dialect you have, what pronunciation you have, even if you are a native speaker, it's not wrong. No, yeah. and I've, I've had teachers come, you know, over the years again with these sort of bigger trainings at the end of the day. And they'll say, you know, I just, I mean, I'm just not so sure until, t- 
I just feel like I speak this broken English. And so the native speakers come to me and say, I speak broken English. And then I had yeah. non-native speakers come to me and say, well, my English is still broken. I'm like, what are we doing right now? I, your mouth is moving and I understand you. And right. I, you know, we can talk about halting grammar. You can talk about fluency, but I, I let's go ahead and set aside the word broken for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Why just, are we policing each other for yeah, being understandable? Yeah. So it's it's just it really is about making it. Um, it's for the people, you know. All all speech is created, or in, at least in terms of the chart, all speech is created equal. Uh, we'll have large numbers of people who have sort of a consensus, right? That friends yeah. is red, and then you say, oh well, there's another group that says it's silver. Back right. to friend and friend. Um, but notice that it's not fruned. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not blue moon and it's not frowned because that's a different word. Yeah. And so we do have this kind of, even when we broaden the, the parameters, we still have a collective agreement about what makes a word a word. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite takeaways from using the color vowel chart in our conversation today is that, um, some of the stories that you mentioned of people kind of maybe having a bit of fun with each other's pronunciation and then being able to point to the chart and say, but look, it's only one color away or one word away. So how different is it really? And isn't it perfectly reasonable that people would have this tiny little shift in pronunciation difference between these two, two colors that are right next to each other, right? As opposed to like, it's not on the other side of the chart. Okay. That's probably just a pronunciation error that we can help with. Um, but yeah, in terms of those subtle differences, it, it sort of brings it together. Yeah. Yeah. Living after I'm from Michigan, but have lived in Boston for quite some time now. So it's fun to see like, okay. Cause I'm the weirdo in Boston. Like when I say very, <laughs> I say, where is it? Where's my color here? Gray day. Very is uh-huh. my kind of, and in Boston it's red pepper, very. Uh-huh. So yeah. I always, my friends would always laugh at me. It's is how cold is it? It's very cold. Ha ha ha. You know? <laughs> okay. Sorry. It's very cold. <laughs> it's very but, cold. Yeah. And that's interesting. And, and I just want to point out since this is, you know, first and foremost, an audio podcast, if you just heard Shannon say very, and you thought you heard red, I certainly heard red. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not, there's not one reality, right? There's sort of, yeah. um, our brains are deciding what these sounds are. And I heard red pepper very out of your mouth. And then when you said it's gray, I was like, oh, she sees it as, you know, she hears it as gray. Yeah. And that's part of it too, is um, it's always going to be an approximation in some sense, right? Because even the the letter that comes after it changes a little bit what the vowel sounds like. So putting the R after that, you know, A sound or S sound, like which one is it really like, it's it's hard to like pinpoint yeah, it exactly. Those, right. Those are those R controls. In fact, just today in mm-hmm. class, we were talking about how these uh, colors will kind of collapse into one category when they move to purple. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. R. So which whether is like it's the very very yep. or very or even very. Yep. Um, although for me, very means like it varies. You're right. It's kind of between the red pepper and the black cat. Yeah. Yeah. So we have very, or, you know, yeah. So it's, we, there's a lot we can, we can do with the chart for that dialogue. That's why I do love uh, it is available, you know, visually on our website. Uh, We Mm -hmm. distribute it. It's a wonderful partnership we have through the U S department of state where they print and distribute 
chart, a color valve chart abroad. Awesome. So oh, people so have cool. access to the chart. Um, it's, I think it's sort of like having a fork, you know, it's pretty functional. So like, I need a yeah. fork. Oh, here's the chart. It. Uh, it's something <laughs> you can use just to kind of have a dialogue. And, and we're always here ready to, you know, provide training, provide support when somebody wants to really learn how to teach with it. Yeah. Um, but I'd, I'd say start with the chart for yourself. You know, it's a good way to, to get started with just familiarizing yourself to what we do. Amazing. And it looks like you would have digital copies available too, that teachers could purchase or download. I'm just thinking of, I do a lot with online teaching. Um, so one of my questions for you was going to be um, ways to incorporate the color ballot chart with online teaching, but even just in this conversation, it seems quite oh, yeah. obvious that you could literally just screen share the yep. color ballot chart and be, you know, pointing exactly. things out on your screen. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, something over the years, you know, it's been a trend, it's been a journey, right. Where it started off as this thing that I created in the classroom. And then I shared it as a PowerPoint at presentations at, at conferences. And then right around 2009, I realized I should probably copyright it. And so I but, did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I did that and I didn't just, it wasn't just drawing a little C it was, I actually <laughs> filed for copyright yeah. and, um, and we also filed for trademark. And, and then later on, we actually got a patent for a particular aspect of what we do here that's built into our games. Um, but that's beside the point. My point here though, is the chart is available for, it's a creative commons licensing. So mm -hmm. I want teachers to know they don't need to worry about using the chart. It's, it's there to be used. Um, awesome. However, it's when it's being used in a product, when it's being used in something that is commercialized, um, yeah. it's a product that's going to be sold. That's, that's why we have copyright and we work with organizations. We have a, a wonderful publisher in Colorado, uh, Intercombio Uniting Communities, and they publish a textbook series with the chart um, in it. And oh, cool. um, you know, we work with a number of other organizations, so it's, it's fun to get it out there, but it really is for the people. <laughs> Perfect. And thank you for that clarification. That's helpful as well. I know for teachers listening. Yeah. Um, all right. So as we wrap up any other news that you have to share with us, any big other projects that you're working on these days oh, or things that we sure. should know? Yeah. I'll let you know about two. How about that? Okay. Yes, um, that would be one great. is that about Four or five years ago, uh, we had this wonderful opportunity to uh, work with a, a Crackerjack team of engineers to create mm -hmm. an app. And so yeah, we have I was an app. I you would mention the app. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is, uh, it's, it's the ColorVal method and the ColorVal chart distilled into an app with artificial intelligence called Blue Canoe. Mm -hmm. um, you can find it in the app store under Blue Canoe Learning. And yeah. it provides, you know, if you're a teacher and you think, I want to teach with the color valve chart. That's great. So then you teach with it and then your student walks out of the classroom or turns off zoom. <laughs> and what do they do the other 23 hours of the day? Um, when do they get to reinforce that practice? And so that's what blue canoe does. It provides real practice with intelligent feedback. That'll say something like that's not a gray word. That's actually a red word. And maybe the word was pepper, right? Instead mm -hmm. of paper. Um, so it gives color valve feedback and we provide a pretty powerful dictionary in there where you can look up a word of English and know uh, where the stress is and what color it is. Uh, so that's, that's one project that's been ongoing. Uh, there's a free version of that app and okay. then there's a paid version called premium, 
We also work with schools to provide um, students with with licenses. So the school would purchase a license pack. So those are nice. Okay, that's great to know. Yeah. And then the other is is just my fun thing. I'm also a musician. um, Oh, cool. It makes sense why you're so closely connected with sounds. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Um, but one thing I, I've loved doing is playing with language. Um, we, we do a lot with chants and in general, um, kind of like the old Carolyn Graham jazz chants, but more mm-hmm. was... improvised, right? Okay. And improvised from the moment of what it is the student needs in that moment, like what they said, what they need to say, let's make it into a chant. And therefore we can package it as a song, remember it in the brain that way, that kind okay, of thing. Okay, wow. And so I've created a uh, twice a month free class for the world called Pure English Practice. And that's a place where teachers and learners or teachers by themselves or learners by themselves can come for this mirrored practice where I'll take a phrase, we'll play with it. Everybody's muted um, and they speak with me. And then we open up the mics and we go around the room and listen. Uh, So it's kind of like a workout for pronunciation. Okay. Just a place where teachers can come to see, I don't know what I do uh, when I'm Mm -hmm. teaching in the moment, how I bring the chart into it and out of it and, and so forth. And then the blue canoe learners can come and see, you know, what do we do with blue canoe? Um, But it's just an open class on Thursday nights at 10 PM Eastern. And I'll, I'll be doing it as long as it makes me super happy, which it does. (laughs) All right. I will definitely link to that. I'm sure a ton of takers. Yeah. People come from all over the world. Uh, we've, you know, we've had families sit in on it and, um, I mean, all kinds of people. So it's, there are no walls. Uh, it's just Mm -hmm. an open zoom room and, uh, we have a good time. So I invite people to come to that. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, all right. So how our listeners, our Temple Horizons community can find you, um, I'll link to your YouTube channel, but any other way that you want to mention that they can connect with you if they want to learn more about what you do. Sure. I mean, colorvowel.com is the best Great. way to find us. Um, Bluecanoelearning.com well. for the app. Um, but, um, and I, I run both companies. Uh, okay. So if you want to just choose one, find me at Color Vowel. I'll take care of you. Uh, we have a wonderful team. Um, they're ready too. Okay. Perfect. Uh, well, Karen, this conversation was absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for taking oh, the time and uh, to sit down with me today and with our Tefl Horizons community today. This I was excited about the color vowel chart, but this really kind of blew my mind. Um, it was so cool to learn so much more about it. Oh, thank you, Shannon. This was <laughs> black cat. Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> thank you so much for all the work you're doing. I, I, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks again for joining me. Feel free to leave a comment on this episode or reach out to me directly at info at and let me know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and take a few seconds to leave a quick review. It helps so much in getting the word out there. And of course, if you know other teachers or travelers, I'd love for you to share this with them too. Stay tuned for the next episode, and until then, head to tefelhorizons.com for more resources and teaching tips. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.